0: I think the thing that I would say could be the most life-changing to females and non-binary people that are going into music is to give them access to understanding the technology of recording because you have so much power with that and there's not enough female producers and there's not enough female engineers and there's not enough women working on crews and as lighting designers, all of these things. There's just not enough. And the more that we have women and non-binary folks in these roles it's going to change things because like you know music sounds a certain way and we're listening to mostly songs that are engineered and produced by men so if i just think about it it's going to sound different there's going to be some really cool creative changes the more that we have diversity in those fields
1: that was Rachel Price, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission, to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender-expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. This week's guest has a voice for the ages. That may sound like a bold statement to some of you, but those of you who have heard Rachel Price sing, either as the frontwoman of Lake Street Dive or in her duo Rachel and Vilray, will know that it's not hyperbole. While it is a natural-born gift to sing, the voice is an instrument, one that takes time and hard work to master and maintain, to say nothing of learning performance, style, rhythm, and imbuing songs with meaning and emotion. And not every voice can cross genres, but our guest has carved a seemingly limitless path for her instrument. Rachel grew up singing and with a love of vocal jazz of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and by her teens, knew that she wanted to pursue music seriously, dreaming of becoming a professional interpreter of songs of those eras. Life had other plans. She attended the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston to study jazz, and that's where she met members of what would become the hugely successful band Lake Street Dive. It's also where she met jazz guitarist and songwriter Phil Ray. And in 2015, the two began performing together as Rachel and Vilray, bringing Rachel a new outlet for singing in the style that had first inspired her and giving us another lens through which to hear that incredible voice. In 2019, they put out their fantastic self-titled debut. And this year, we got their superb second collection, I Love a Love Song. I'm so happy to welcome Rachel Price back as this week's Shiro in the spotlight. Rachel Price, welcome back to Shiro's. It is so great to see you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on the new Rachel and Vilray album. I love a love song. I also feel very lucky that we got some time together because the countdown is on to yeah. a big day for you. You're about to give birth to your first child. That's How are right. you feeling?
0: I feel all the things. Uh, very tired and very excited and also um, confused. <laughs> there's a lot of confusion we set up the uh, little bassinet next to the bed the other day and I was looking at it and I was like what
1: is there gonna be a baby in there it doesn't doesn't feel real all of a sudden there's going to be a third person there. You've been performing pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, How has that been? It was great. I went on tour with Lake Street Dive for a few weeks
0: and I thought it was going to be harder than it was. I think I built it up a little bit, which I suppose in this instance sort of worked for me because I was like, oh, this isn't as difficult as I thought. It wasn't as hard to breathe as some people had said might happen. And Overall, it felt very powerful, you know, to perform with a baby inside me. And on the last show, I got really emotional because I was like, oh, this is the last Lake Street Dive show with her in me. And then the next one, she's outside of me, which is a wild feeling. So
1: I I liked it. I got to see Lake Street Dive on New Year's Eve. And then recently I went to see your album release show with Rachel and Bill Ray, in music Hall Williamsburg. And I was just thinking how unusual it is to see a woman performing pregnant. And then my next question to myself was like, why is that? Why is that so unusual? Yeah, I don't think I've seen
0: someone perform pregnant before, which it is unusual. Yeah. I wonder if it's just because... We're not getting pregnant as much as touring musicians. It's a hard thing to plan. Right. Took a lot of forward planning and timing. And even so, it's just one of
1: those things you just kind of got to do, I guess, if you want to do it. It's funny because I launched Shiro's, as you know, during the pandemic. And one thing I couldn't have anticipated doing a show focusing on women and non-binary people is that during that time, so many touring musicians were like, well, I guess if there's any time to do it, it would be now. Like it became a very practical decision that way.
0: Yeah, definitely crossed my mind as well during that time. Like, oh, this is the time but it wasn't the time.
1: (laughs) Right. So the next part of that is that I've ended up talking about what that choice is like for women in particular and have had conversations on both sides of the coin of women who made the decision not to do it yet or not to do it at all. And then women who have decided to take the leap and then what the implications are for them and talking about how motherhood factors into longevity of our careers. And I was curious curious about what your own personal thought process or feeling process has been around all that.
0: Well, yeah, it is somewhat complicated because when you're a touring musician, generally you're the only person that does your specific job. Mm. So, in the case of Lake Street Dive or with me and Villery, it was a tricky decision or at least a decision that required a lot of thought because Once I was out of commission, I knew that I was putting... A whole band off work for a little while. And the same with Villery and I, I mean, the timing of this made it so that we're not really able to tour this new record right now. We'll have to do it a little bit down the road. And that feels heavy. Yeah. That feels like, oh, do I need to ask everyone if this is okay? And then I had to tell myself, uh, it's not really how it works. (laughs) I actually have to make the decision for myself and then just tell everyone and hope that the support and the understanding is there, which it absolutely was, but it was difficult, you know, I was like, how do I start this process? And now that it's here, I mean, I'm incredibly supported by the members of Lake Street Dive and by our management team. And I think everyone's even excited to have the summer off (laughs) because, you know, we've been going pretty hard for a long time, minus those two years of not being able to work. But it was complicated. And honestly, it basically just ran up to my own fears about how late I could do it in life. Mm. And I just got to the point where I was like, I just need to know for myself emotionally that if I'm going to have a baby, I have to do it by this age. Which, you know, it's arbitrary and biological clocks are different for everybody and women are having babies much later than we've been doing it. So anyway, <laughs> all to say it was, wasn't was the easiest decision but I also will say in this rambling answer that I feel extremely fortunate to have the ability to take the amount of time off that I'm taking off. You know, we're not going back on tour for six months. And a lot of women can't do that. You know, they have to go back to work at six weeks and that's a failure of our country and social practices. But I feel really lucky.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that's been really fascinating to explore is like, how do we shift things in our industry in music, readjust so that it isn't such a difficult decision for women to make that they can do both, that green rooms are set up differently, that time off is different, that pay scale is different. Like I remember talking to Lido Pimienta and one of her soapboxes that she likes to get on is talking about pay scale, that actually not only should women in music get paid equal, they need to get paid more because if they have kids, who's going to take care of the kids?
0: Wow. Yeah. I don't disagree with that notion, especially because, the choices that you're going to have to make, I think, as a mother are slightly different than the choices that maybe a touring father would have to make, especially in the first couple years, depending on how dependent the baby is on your own body. And that's kind of where I've been thinking in just these sort of very near in the future increments and just being yeah. like, well, it's a little bit different because, you know, we're going to need to go on tour in six months because we have to like we have to make money basically <laughs> to support ourselves. But I was like, but I have to bring the baby with me which is just going to make the whole experience really, really different and going to require, yeah, some childcare on the road. And there's financial costs that go along with that. So, yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about the things about like the green room and the shows being family friendly. It's like I was just, <laughs> I was just like, can shows be earlier? That right. was the only thing I thought. I was like, do we <laughs> have to go on stage at 9 p.m.? Does anyone want shows? Yes, at this time. Earlier. That's as far as my thinking went.
1: I, I, I would be in favor of that, personally. Yeah, I think we'd all be in favor. Yeah. Shows don't yeah. need to be so late. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so I'd love to talk about Rachel and Bill Ray. I love a love song, the new album. And maybe you could get us started by choosing a song to play a clip of. I don't know if you have a favorite.
0: My personal favorite is Even in the Evening. It's a ballad. It's one of my favorite songs to sing.
2: I remember when five bells would toll and work would end. He and I would meet out on the square. There wasn't anybody anywhere could keep my love from being there Now, I the evening He can't find the time Those hours once were mine
1: even in the Evening from Rachel and Bill Ray's I Love a Love Song. We have Rachel Price here on Shiro's Rose Radio. Talk to us a little bit about the making of this record. It sounded like and it looked like something from another time.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's what we were going for. We wanted to make sure that we could make a record that sounded like the records that we loved from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, but not step into the world of pastiche and and the only way to really make a record sound like that in sort of its purest form is to do it in the same type of space that those records were made, which generally they were made in big studios with all the musicians in one room. Tons of bleed, like the drum mics have to be in the bass mics, you know, that's the only way to get that sound. And if you separate mm-hmm. them and you try to mix it or you try and fake it, it's just not going to sound the way that those old records do. And Villery in particular wanted to make sure that the record had an intimacy of vocals and that the rest of the band sounded somewhat far away, which you also need to do in physical space. Mm. So the first step was finding the studio for that, which we felt like LA had some of the best studios for that. And so we recorded in Studio A at United Recording, which is a classic studio. Frank Sinatra recorded Strangers in the Night, for example, there. And then It was really up to Dan Nobler, the producer and who engineered the record, to set everything up in such a way that we could have this big, beautiful, lush sound all together in one room. And then the next thing that you have to really make sure is that if you're doing things that way, you have to have really, really, really good musicians because you have to get one take of the band. And that means no one can really make that many mistakes (laughs) per take where it's like, I'm used to going and recording, you know, many, many takes of a song and comping it together. So it's not a way that I'm used to recording. So we put together a really good band who, you know, rehearsed for a day and then recorded the record in four days.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's wild. It was wild. And for you, you said you'd never really recorded like that before. I mean, how did that feel? It was stressful at
0: first. The hope was that I would be able to sing my vocals live in the room. And very quickly, I was like, that's way too much pressure for me to get a perfect take in the room. So I was in a booth very close to the band, but separated. And then I did do my vocals afterwards, which was great. It didn't affect the sound, and I was able to do it in the same room. I still did them very quickly. like The timeline was the same. The whole record was made in four days, which I think somewhat honored the spirit of it and helped me get better takes actually to do it fast. But yeah, it was thrilling. It's kind of a cool thing because you can spend a lot of time on records. You know, you can spend a year on a record, you can spend two years on a record and and people do, but these jazz records that were sort of inspired by were recorded very quickly. People didn't record that way. So I sort of understood the creative process in a different way and why it actually served the music better to do it fast.
1: And it'll be interesting to see how it feels for you now going back to the studio with Lake Street Dive. Sounds like it was a real learning curve for you. Oh, yeah. You got to push your edges there. Yeah. Definitely. It's fun to have the opportunity to talk to you one-on-one. I don't think we've ever had the chance to do this in this setting before. Last time, it was you and me and Bridget, which also was a first. To help me prepare to talk to you today, I went back and listened to our conversation from almost exactly two years ago. And we were talking about your time at the New England Conservatory, and you were very, very focused on jazz and jazz singing. And you said, as a singer, it's definitely male-dominated, which I found, and I'm quoting you now, I found to be very challenging. It's a weird, unchosen pedestal I had to be on as a female singer in the jazz world. And I wasn't really interested in being a part of that, but I didn't think I was necessarily able to carve something else out. So when Lake Street came about, it was very natural to put the jazz thing down because I wasn't really finding myself authentically in that. And I think part of that was that it wasn't really that balanced. So I wanted to speak that back to you now Mm -hmm. on the other side of doing these two records where you were able to finally achieve this, and, and especially on this new one, a very high level version of what I believe to be your dream, right? From mm. from way back when you were a kid. Yeah. How does that hit you now, hearing your words back about that topic?
0: Well, I don't disagree with myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, Rachel, what do you I, think I, about I, what Rachel said?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, well, Villery and I both have talked a lot about whether or not we feel like we're a jazz act. In some ways, we feel removed from the scene. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. But... When I was talking about that, what you're quoting back to me, I I think I was thinking about what felt like to me a limited avenue for like a jazz singer to go down, which was sort of reinterpreting standards and making sure that they were unique or different as possible. And what I really wanted was to just sing in the style from the 30s and the 40s, somewhat accurate to the time and not actually deviate that much just to continue that tradition. So... What I was able to find, which is completely by providence, I would call it, is a writer like Villery writing new material for me to interpret. So it's kind of made the whole experience of singing jazz really straightforward and really simple and really authentic for me because I'm not worried about people's attachment to. The older versions of these very famous, well-known songs. And I don't feel like I'm trying to prove anything by making them different than their previous versions. I get to sing these songs for the first time. I know that they're falling on fresh ears because no one has heard them. And I get to work directly with the person who wrote the song. So any notes, any specific things that he had in mind, I get to hear it directly from him, which it's like, you know, I can't call up Cole Porter and be like, what was your intention when you wrote the song? Did you want it to be sung this way? (laughs) So in so many ways, I did get my dream. But that's not to say that the same sort of challenges might not exist for other jazz singers, I think, right now. And I just feel really, really, really lucky. But also to all the jazz singers out there, villery's a very prolific writer. So <laughs> Vilry sort of shown me that it's more possible than some people might think to write music in this style and to keep it
1: fresh and also honor the tradition. And hopefully we'll start to see more women and non-binary people take charge in other ways in jazz too. I mean, the jazz singer is kind of a standard way of viewing a woman, I'm putting this in air quotes, a woman's place in jazz, be great to see that world open up more. I've heard from other singers and other vocalists, especially in the jazz world, that we're not given the same respect as the instrumentalists. I don't know how that is now, if that was something that you ever
0: experienced. I really need to talk to some of the younger female jazz musicians and jazz singers to see what their experience as of late has been. Because I am sort of basing it on when I was at NEC, which, you know, NEC was a wonderfully supportive environment, but I went there because the schools that I auditioned at gave me the impression that they didn't treat the singers... The same way as the instrumentalists, which I didn't really understand because we were all trying to learn the same art form. So why would we be separated and why would it be that we were sort of relegated to sing in jazz choir only and not be considered instrumentalists in our own way? I'm sure it's gotten better. I'm, sh- I'm mm. sure because everything is getting better
1: slowly but surely. Absolutely. We have Rachel Price here on Shiro's radio and the new Rachel and Vilray album is called I Love a Love Song. I was also thinking about the fact that Vilray is so great at writing songs for a woman to sing. I love is a good man real. I loved it the moment I heard it. I was
0: very pleased that Valerie chose to write me a man-hating song. Uh, it follows in a great line of tradition of man-hating songs, especially with the blues singers of the 20s and 30s. And I like it because the person in the song has clearly only had not good experiences with men. And I also like that they're asking the question, does the man exist in sort of a cheeky and funny way? So I think it's well done because I don't think it's a very negative song. (laughs) It's just asking the question, like, Uh, do they exist? Which sort of, I think, might cue the male listener to say, oh, I see. Here are some of the things that are lacking. I think it's cool because the song is mostly funny and it's not mean and I think it invites men to laugh along with it. At least I think so. When we perform the song, I don't feel like we're alienating anyone in the audience, pointing out some things that are kind of funny. And he's he's using sort of old-fashioned examples, but I think they still
2: kind of hold true today. I've never known one what do they do? We've all heard the legends, but can they be true? My cousin's best friend's boyfriend once nearly cooked a meal. So is a good man real? Does he try? What his old lady say when he sleeps and on Tuesdays does he straighten the bed?
1: and Bill Ray's new album, I Love, A Love Song. When you were talking about that there's humor in this, it reminded me that I wanted to compliment you on that, that both in listening to the record and then getting to see you perform these songs live that I loved that your sense of humor was coming through. There was a certain theatrical aspect and kind of comedian aspect that I hadn't seen in you before. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering whether you felt like this project has opened up Some new possibilities for you as a performer? It really, really has. I think for so long, my approach to singing has been
0: so focused on honestly just the tone, you know, just the sound of my voice and not thinking as much about the interpretation of the lyric. And sometimes you need to choose delivery over anything else. And really, what changed, what happened is that I started listening to Elaine Stritch heavily, who I'd Listen to, but not with a, an intense focus. Mm. And I was just going through a really big Elaine Stritch phase for a year or two, not that long ago. And I remember I'd just been listening to her so much. And then the next time I was doing a show with Villery, he was like, wow, everything's a little bit different. And I was like, it's just Elaine Stritch. I'll, it's, it's, I'm just thinking about her because she's such a genius. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who were some of your sheroes when you were coming up in music?
0: Ella Fitzgerald was my absolute number one singer. She's who I learned from when I was a kid. She's who I copied, and I still think about her. When I'm singing, I mean, I I feel like I can't not think about Ella. And I think that Ella is how I learned rhythm. I think she's, like, one of the most, like, rhythmically interesting swinging musicians that ever existed. So phrasing and messing with the beat, those sorts of things— were from her. And now I just think about Elaine Stritch when I'm singing Villery songs because I mean she's such a huge shero for me. And growing up it was also Judy Garland was huge and Doris Day. Those were my other two biggest inspirations as far as singing and as far as performance, like the way that they hold their bodies and the way that they move has always had a big effect on me.
1: And I know that you actually teach singing and you teach singing to young women in particular. I was curious to hear from you what that has given to you and the feeling of being a shiro to others
0: oh it's so fun I love getting to work with other singers mostly because it sort of reflects back at me things that I would like to work on and things that I have worked on and sort of reinforces the importance of them and all the recent work that I've done with singers has been about how to use the technical aspects of your voice to give an emotional performance. So sort of this thing that I'm talking about with interpreting the lyrics in such a way and how we can use specific techniques. And it's really helped me. Like I got a lot better at singing once I started teaching voice because I sort of had to reflect on what was making a performance work. And then it made me start to say, oh, I'm not actually doing that. All the time.
1: (laughs) It's amazing, right? When you start to mentor others, all of a sudden it pulls focus on the things that like you're doing and then you're like, wait, I know how to do all these things that I didn't even know I knew how to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it really
0: grounded me in the experience of singing in a different way, just from teaching. I hadn't felt so grounded ever before. And like during the pandemic, I taught voice lessons for about a year straight. And then coming off of that year, not having performed and then going back into it, I was so struck by how much Teaching
1: had affected my ability to perform. Usually, close my shiros conversations lately by giving my guests a shiro's magic wand. It's a way of kind of imagining ourselves as like witchy, amazing beings that can (laughs) change anything for young women, non-binary people in music. And every time I say, "Here's the shiro's magic wand," my guests will go, "Wow! There's so much I would want to change." But what would come to mind for you? Maybe even in this context of thinking. of ways that you might pave the path for the next generation?
0: Wow. Okay, I have one very, very practical thing, which is I think that the accessing and the buying of like musical gear should be changed. The marketing should change. It's so male dominated. I don't know if you've ever walked into a guitar center, but it's the most like hideous place ever. And everything about it was is, is like, go away, girls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Agree. Yes. And I think that women's access to like understanding gear and the recording sucks. So I would be like someone in marketing or whatever, or design, all of these things needs to come in and be like, let's make this like more appealing to all kinds of people. Okay. That's just like a little pet peeve of mine. So I would change that with a magic wand. But I actually, I think that that would be the thing that I would say could be the most life-changing to females and non-binary people that are going into music is to give them access to understanding the technology of recording because you have so much power with that and there's not enough female producers and there's not enough female engineers and there's not enough women working on crews and as lighting designers all of these things there's just not enough and the more that we have women and non-binary folks in these roles it's going to change it's going to change things because like, you know, music sounds a certain way and we're listening to mostly songs that are engineered and produced by men. So that we just if I just think about it, I was like, well, it's, it's going to sound different. There's going to be some really cool creative changes the more that we have diversity in those fields.
1: Which makes me feel so excited. I'm like, what the possibilities are filtered through different ears, different perspectives, like Mm -hmm. how much better music would be for everyone. Mm -hmm. Like we don't even realize what we're missing is what I'm saying. We don't even know what's possible yet.
0: Yes, exactly. It applies across every field in the world. It's like, we don't really know what a government can do because we don't have enough equality. So we don't really know our potential. But with music, it's really exciting because we're thinking, about the thing that gives us the most comfort, or at least for me, the most comfort, the most catharsis. And to think about the diversity going up tenfold, it would just change it.
1: Rachel Price, thank you so much for being here. This has been so fun. It was a pleasure. Why don't you pick a song to take us out today?
0: All right, let's do another song from the new Rachel and Billy record, I Love a Love Song. This one is called Join Me in a Dream.
2: All night through with you. Now join me in a dream.
1: With thanks once again to Rachel Price. Thank you for being with us on Shiro's.
2: Thank you. But how I'll miss this view.
1: Many thanks to Rachel Price for being with us. The new Rachel and Vilray album I Love a Love Song is available now on Nonesuch Records. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit sheroesradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at She Rose Radio. And please consider leaving us a radio and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiros. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.